Can I trust the promises of God? On a personal level, will God hold on to me? Will He keep me through the storms of life? When I ultimately go down into the grave, will He keep His grip on me? Will He carry me through death and bring me once again to life? Is He good for His Word? Is He true to His promises? Is He a reliable God? Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. I'm Steve Hiller. Glad you're with us as we continue a message called The God Who Remembers. And Jonathan, all of us have probably at some point in time asked questions along those lines. We may have some listening today who are asking questions like that. What would you say to the person who's asking some of those big questions? Well, when we want to think about the reliability, the trustworthiness, the faithfulness of God, His ability to meet us in the challenges of life and to be true to His promises to help those who have trusted in Him, when we ask those kinds of questions, it's very helpful actually to look back in history and to check His track record of faithfulness. And as we approach Christmas and think about Christmas, one of the great lessons of Christmas is that God is a promise-keeping God who does not forget his people. And all through the history of Israel, he had been promising that he would come to his people and meet them in their need. And at Christmas, that is what he did when he sent his son into the world. And so it's this great confirmation in time and space and history that God is a promise-keeping God who does not abandon those who have put their hope in him. Well, let's look at that today from the book of Luke. Join us there in chapter 1. We're looking at verses 46 to 56 as we continue a message called, The Lord Who Remembers. Here is Jonathan. I heard it said recently that the most profound verse that summarizes best the very heart of Christmas is 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, where the Apostle Paul says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. The royal son of heaven became poor in the incarnation, in his suffering, and in his death, so that ultimately you and I might be made rich through his poverty that we might share an eternity, a glorious eternity with Him. He came down that we might go up. Now that's the reversal at the heart of the gospel. That's the great reversal at the heart of Christmas. But the thing to notice and the thing to see is that the recipients of God's kindness, the beneficiaries of His mercy, are those who recognize their need, who are humble before Him, who fear Him aright. God chose to go marry and not to some princess in a palace. And Mary sees something in that choice. She sees that God shows His mercy to those who do not presume upon His mercy. He delights to show His kindness to those who don't imagine that they deserve His kindness. He fills the hungry, verse 53, and not the full. He helps the humble and not those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's gracious and merciful to those who fear Him, but He does not show His mercy to those who have no regard for Him. 
Last Sunday, we found that Mary has something very special and very profound to teach us by her example. And I think that the same is true today in this passage. Mary models for us the kind of person whom God helps and God saves, the kind of person God lifts up and exalts, the person who presumes nothing upon Him, who has no sense of deserving anything from Him. The gift of Christmas, the royal son who comes to save, who comes not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The gift of this son is a gift for the humble and not for the proud. It is a gift for the God-fearing. It is a gift for those who come hungry and empty, longing to be filled. And knowing that, remembering that, hearing that from the lips of Mary, I want to ask this morning, what is the state of your heart before the Lord? And what is the state of mine? Are you before Him here today as someone empty, needing to be filled, someone low, needing to be raised up, someone broken, needing to be made whole? Or do you come today as someone who's got it together, someone with something to offer the Lord, someone you imagine God would be pleased to welcome, pleased to notice, pleased to use? That's a searching question for us to consider. It's a bit of an uncomfortable question to consider, but I, I do think we must consider it together this morning in light of what we read here. I think the text forces us to reckon with it. I think Mary, in her humility, compels us to address it. Now, I know that there are some, many here this morning, who are feeling empty and broken and needy. And you're feeling that way this morning because of circumstances that the Lord has allowed into your experience. And it's not a comfortable thing for you. I know some of those stories represented here, and of course, I'm ignorant of very many of them. But I know that there will be many in this room who are approaching Christmas this year in a place of brokenness and in a place of need. You are profoundly empty. You've been laid very low. I know that's the case for some, even many. And as I reflect on that hard reality, I do want to encourage you with this truth from our passage. If the Lord has seen fit to bring you low in some way this season and this year, if He has emptied you through circumstances, if He has humbled you in some way, let me encourage you, don't waste that experience. Don't try and just get past it and push it aside too quickly. Don't just throw it off. Don't do that because the truth we learn here in Mary's song is that spiritual lowness and spiritual brokenness and spiritual humility, those are healthy things and those are safe things and those are good things even as they are very painful things. It's a good place to be in even if it's an uncomfortable place. It's a good place because the humble, the God-fearing, the empty, as such people come to God and receive His Son and ask Him to fill them, 
to lift them up, to make them whole, well, He will do it, and He will come to them. And I don't know, it may be that the Lord is using some hard circumstances in your life this season and this year to get you back to where you need to be spiritually, where you need to be in order to be able to walk with Him and in order to be able to serve Him. Maybe you were once there, but you have drifted from Him as life has been going well, and you've gained a measure of self-sufficiency and maybe even fallen into a degree of pride. And maybe the Lord is just calling you back to Himself through lowness that He might lift you up again in Christ. Maybe for others, you've never responded to this child of Christmas, to the royal son who came to save. But you're actually here today because life has brought you low and you need something, some answer and some hope. Someone came to our door here at the church just recently on a Sunday morning and walked in the door in a place of brokenness and said to the first person he saw, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. And he came in and he listened to the sermon. We were talking about how in Jesus we can put off the old and take on the new. And he said, that was God's word to me and I want to receive Christ. He came in brokenness and he was made whole. He came in low. He came in, in low, and, and the Lord was pleased to raise him up. And it was a wonderful day. And in, in, in tears, it was a time of great rejoicing as a couple of us had an opportunity just to chat with him. And I thought, this is what the Lord does. And as that man came in, this brother now in Christ, as he came in in brokenness, I thought that is exactly how we come to Christ. And it is how we need to come to Christ. And it is, in a sense, how we need to stay before Christ as He in His goodness lifts us up. There will be others here who need to hear perhaps a word of warning in Mary's song. And there is a strong word of warning here. She knows that this God who has been so gracious to her and so kind to her will not show His grace to others. She knows, verse 51, that He scatters the proud, that He sends away those who see themselves as rich. And you know, for all of us, whether lifetime churchgoers or newcomers today, we do need to hear that warning. It's so easy to imagine that we come to God with something to offer Him, to think that He would be honored to have us listen to Him, pleased to have us serve Him, to have us as part of His kingdom. As I reflect upon Mary's words, I think that there is a particular danger for us here in our time and in our place here in Canada and in Ottawa, by almost any metric you care to consider, we are a people who are doing pretty well and who have it pretty good in terms of health, in terms of education, in terms of wealth, in terms of standard of living. You name it, we've got it unusually good by global standards, even by national standards. And living with such privilege, if we're not careful, we'll think that we are somehow a special people somehow a little cut above. Wouldn't God be pleased to have us on His team? Shouldn't God be pleased? How easy to think that way, and how dangerous to think that way. 
And so if we harbor those thoughts, we need to take heed, even take warning. He will scatter and send away those who harbor such thoughts in their inmost heart, says Mary. This is Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message called The Lord Who Remembers, part of our series, Glory in the Highest. And we'll get back to this message in just a moment. Hey, if you ever miss a broadcast or maybe you're going to be traveling during this Christmas season, you can always come and you can listen online. Our website is EncounterTheTruth.org. And another way to listen on the go so you don't miss Jonathan's teaching is to get the Encounter the Truth app. It's free. You'll find it at your favorite app store, and that's a great way to stay connected with Jonathan's teaching. One more thing I want to mention, that's the weekly devotional. Encounter the Truth produces a weekly devotional to help you dig a little bit deeper and to look more at God's Word. Just head to our website, EncounterTheTruth.org, and click on the link that says Moment of Truth. Well, let's get back to the message. Once again, here is Jonathan. The God of Christmas, he is the God of stunning reversals. Next and more briefly, the God of Christmas, he is the God of steadfast faithfulness, verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. I think we've grown accustomed to distrusting and mistrusting promises. In the world of business, long gone are the days when someone's word is their bond, where a handshake is enough to secure a deal. We assume that people will just back out of their commitments. We rely on ever longer and more complex contracts to force people to commit when we're not sure they're going to commit. And we assume that when things go wrong, we'll just have to resort to the courts to sort it all out. In marriage, unfaithfulness and divorce are tragically so common as to be quite unremarkable in the culture at large. And even in the simple things, in the small things, we anticipate unreliability. I remember when we lived in London, I used to take the train up to my office. That was the most efficient way to go. London is famous for its trains, and it has a long history of running a very substantial rail network. But reliability and punctuality seem to have been just getting worse and worse and worse over the years. I remember reading at one point when I was doing that daily journey that journey times in 1910 for many routes in London were actually more efficient than they were a full century later. A century of supposed improvements had made the system less reliable, less efficient, and less quick. Anyway, I got to the point where I would just assume that my train would arrive late. I would count on it coming late. I'd arrive late at the station in the morning just assuming that the trains would be way behind and it was better not to waste my time standing on the platform. And if the train ever actually arrived on time, actually left as advertised, that ended up being a thing of frustration because you'd come to rely on unreliability, if you see what I mean. (laughs) And I think when it comes to faithfulness, to truthfulness, to keeping promises, to honoring commitments, I think we have in our society, in our day, and in our age, we've come to rely on unreliability. The people of Israel in Mary's day, there was one giant million-dollar question hanging over their experience and over their faith. Would God keep his long-standing promises to save? That was the question. Would he come through on what he had committed to do, or would he let them down in the end? That question was a live question. It was a poignant question for the people of Israel because, frankly, things didn't look all that promising when it came to God's salvation promises. 
It had been 400 years or so since the last prophet had spoken a salvation promise to Israel. And since the end of those prophetic oracles four centuries before, things had gone actually from bad to worse. Israel was weakened, humiliated, subjugated, passed around from one pagan empire to another. And if it turned out that God had forgotten them, that God had abandoned them, God had been unable or unwilling to send this promised Savior. If that turned out to be the case, then this God, he wasn't worth trusting at all. Would he come through? Would he honor his word? Would he keep his promise to save? God had spoken a very great deal about his plans and his intentions to send a Savior to his people throughout the Old Testament. His final word and his final promise to the people came at the close of the Old Testament, uh, the final page, really, in Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5. At that final page of the Old Testament, that final chapter, the Lord says that He will send a prophet before the day of judgment and salvation comes, the day of the Lord, the day when the Lord Himself would come. He's going to send a prophet ahead of that day in the spirit, in the line of Elijah, Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5, he says this, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. That's the final page of the Old Testament, the final statement and promise that God makes. Now, just notice with me again what the Lord says about baby John to be born to Zechariah and Elizabeth, Luke chapter 1 and verse 17. This boy, ultimately this man, he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord." Baby John, what's he going to do? He's going to prepare people for the Lord's arrival. And baby Jesus, who is he? He is the Lord himself. Now, what has Mary seen? What has Mary perceived? What has she realized? After 400 years of silence, after 400 years of seeming inactivity, God is picking up right where he left off on the final page of the Old Testament. He is fulfilling His promise to save. He's keeping His Word. He's honoring His commitments. This long-expected Messiah, He has come. The long-awaited salvation of God, it has arrived. See, the story of Christmas, the event of Christmas, it is the great vindication of the faithfulness of God. It is the great vindication of the trustworthiness of the God of heaven. Above and beyond any other event, the coming of Christ tells us that God is true to His Word. He is faithful to His promises. When God says He will do something, He will do it. Even if it takes 400 years or more, even if things look bleak and unpromising, you and I, if we're Christian people, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, we have staked our eternity on the belief, on the premise that God can be trusted to keep His promises. But what proof do we have? I mean, is it all just wishful thinking? Is it all just a kind of hopeful leap in the dark? Well, no. No, no it isn't. No, it isn't because we have historical record, historical proof, historical evidence that God has demonstrated Himself to be a promise-keeping God. 
He made promises throughout the Old Testament, even going back to Abraham himself in the book of Genesis, as Mary notes in verse 55. He made promises that a day would come when he would send his Savior King into the world to bring hope and healing and life to his waiting people, to Israel, and through them to bring salvation blessings to the world. And 2,000 years ago, through a young woman in Nazareth, he did that very thing. He kept his word He fulfilled his commitment. And so when you and I today wonder, can I trust the promises of God? On a personal level, will God hold on to me? Will He keep me through the storms of life? When I ultimately go down into the grave, will He keep His grip on me? Will He carry me through death and bring me once again to life? Is He good for His Word? Is He true to His promises? Is He a reliable God? As I face an uncertain future, as I have concerns for my health or my finances or my kids, can I trust that God is a God of faithfulness who will not forget about me, who will not forget to care for me and to sustain me, who will never leave me and never forsake me? Can I trust that He will keep each and every promise of His words. And Mary says to us, from the depths of her experience of God's work and God's goodness, she says, yes, yes, you can trust Him. Yes, He is a God of faithfulness. He is a God who remembers despite a long wait, despite hopeless appearances. He has helped His servant Israel remembering, remembering and not forgetting, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers, even as he promised long ago. If you are considering the faith this morning as a skeptic or an inquirer, if you're thinking through these things this Christmas, this is a question you'll want to address. And it is a question you'll need to consider. Can God be trusted? How can I know that his word is true? And Mary's answer is the answer you need to grapple with. God made promises long ago, even to Abraham, promises to intervene, promises to show mercy, promises to save. And at that first Christmas, He entered human history in a profound and an unexpected way, and He kept His promise. And He proved to us. He demonstrated to the world that He's a God whose Word can be trusted whose promises are true. And so the question before each and every one of us today is this, will we take God at His word? Will we trust His promises, maybe for the first time, maybe for the thousandth time, but will we trust Him even as Mary trusted Him? And trusting Him, will we join Mary in singing His praises even with our spirit? and with our soul. Jonathan Griffiths here on Encounter the Truth, wrapping up our message, The Lord Who Remembers, part of our series, Glory in the Highest. Hey, if you missed any of the broadcast in the series or you want to go back and listen again, you can always do that by coming to our website, EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, Encounter the Truth is listener-supported. That's exactly what it sounds like. We depend on your generosity and your financial support to keep this program going. But as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to say thank you by sending you a book written by Bob Lapine. It's called The Four Emotions of Christmas. And 
Jonathan, how would you encourage those who listen and give to use this book when they receive it? Well, I think Christmas is just the most wonderful opportunity to share the hope that we have in Christ with those around us, with our our friends and loved ones, with our co-workers, with our neighbors. And it's often helpful to have a resource to share with folk at Christmas. And I want to commend to you this resource. We're trusting that it'll be helpful to you as you seek to share the good news of Jesus Christ this Christmas with those around you. And I think one of the great strengths of this little book is the fact that it connects with people people's emotional realities, where they're at. We know that Christmas is often an emotionally complex time, and this little book engages with those realities and points us to the Lord Jesus Christ to find hope and joy in Him at Christmas. And I trust you'll be able to use this and give it away that others will find joy and hope in Christ this year. Well, we want to send you a copy of this book, The Four Emotions of Christmas, as our way of saying thank you for your financial support. You can give over the phone by calling us at 833-998-7884. That's 833-99-TRUTH. Or go online and give through our website. It's EncounterTheTruth.org. That's EncounterTheTruth.org. For Jonathan Griffiths, I'm Steve Hiller. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time.